Welcome to History 605, the South Dakota State Historical Society's podcast, where we talk to historians, curators, filmmakers, artists, and authors about how they interpret the past. I'm Dr. Ben Jones, South Dakota State Historian and Director of the State Historical Society. Join me and our guests as we think historical. So it is most appropriate and fitting that in our first year of our second century that this should also be a year of reconciliation between the Indian people and the non-Indian people alike. History 605 is sponsored by the Groover Family Trust and done in partnership with South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Welcome to the show. Welcome to History 605. Today on the show, we have Kevin Kuchenbecker. Kevin is the Historic Preservation Officer for the city of Deadwood and has served in that role since 2006. Kevin grew up in Phillips, South Dakota and graduated from SDSU with a degree in history. He's worked as a ranch hand, then went off to Belfouche until 1992, after that, he worked in Ohio in a couple of different historic preservation positions for the state. Kevin now leads a staff of uh, preservationists and archivists in the city uh, that we all know as one of the more fascinating and historic towns in South Dakota. Kevin, welcome to History 605. Thanks for having me, Ben. This has been mentioned before, but certainly we've had guests on History 605 who've highlighted different aspects of Deadwood's history. David Wolf, for instance, in uh, episode six of this season, he discussed the fires that destroyed, but also in some way remade Deadwood. You are, if we keep that metaphor going, you're managing the remaking of the city of Deadwood based on uh, the occurrences of the 1987 fire. Uh, your job is, in a way, kind of remaking it every day. I'm wondering if you can kind of start off the conversation then and and tell us what uh, the constitutional change that the people voted on in uh, 88, how does that work in practice? Um, and then we can get into some of the different projects that have occurred since then. Sure. And I think it's important as we, we talk about leading up to that uh, December 1987 fire of the syndicate block, Deadwood has been fortunate to understand our history is part of our economic engine. Uh, we became a National Historic Landmark in July of 1961, predates the uh, Historic Preservation Act of 1966. And then uh, about 1980, actually it was May 21st, 1980, when they closed the houses in Deadwood. Uh, it was one of our economic engines of Deadwood. Uh, uh, I guess we put our arms around vice for the last hundred and some years. Obviously, the most famous poker game in history uh, with the dead man's hand, uh, August 2nd, 1876. Mm -hmm. But then Deadwood was starting to slump. You know, the tourism uh, industry was, was still strong, but we didn't have a, a Walmart. We didn't have the big boxes on the side of town. We didn't have an industrial park. And so a group of leaders got together and says, what can we do to revitalize or maintain the vitality, preserve and restore Deadwood to its, its former glory? And so the Deadwood You Bet Committee started out in the early to mid 80s. And, and it wasn't uh, until 
uh, December of uh, 1987, when we uh, finally had that fire uh, of the syndicate block, images of the facade collapsing was part of the campaign to get uh, limited stakes gaming in Deadwood. And then uh, we were able to successfully get enough uh, citizens of Deadwood to uh, sign the uh, petition to put it on the ballot. November of 1988, it passes. And then November 1st, uh, 1989, we uh, had, you know, uh, the first uh, limited gaming legally in Deadwood. In many ways, not looked back as far as um, moving forward with the restoration and preservation of Deadwood. That uh, ballot initiative that was passed, uh, because in our constitution, games of chance is prohibited, but exception. And that mm -hmm. exception is um, wagering, gaming uh, of limited cards, games, slot machines, et cetera, within the city limits of Deadwood. And whereas the entire net municipal proceeds shall be devoted to historic restoration and preservation of Deadwood. And uh, I've been fortunate, blessed, honored to be the preservation officer now for, uh, I just presented my 18th budget to the city okay. commission. And in a couple of months, I get to present it to, to the South Dakota State Historical Society Board of Trustees for the 18th time. And uh, it's because of those gaming revenues and our commitment we made to the citizens of Deadwood that Deadwood is what it is today. I mean, uh, that old crystal ball, if you look back, what would it look like without those uh, revenues? I would venture to say there would have been more fires. When the syndicate broke, uh, you know, it was December, broke out the fire. There wasn't enough water pressure in some um, instances to fight that fire. Um, we're fortunate we didn't lose an entire city block uh, like they did in previous fires or, or right. the whole town. And so without those gaming revenues, you know, we've improved the infrastructure of Deadwood. The motto for the fire department is preservation through firefighting. I mean, they believe in it and the to whole town. Yeah. Has, yeah. I think that strong preservation ethic is a result of that constitutional amendment. So in those 18 budgets, do you have, you may not know this off the top of your head, or maybe you do, but what's the total amount of net uh, municipal proceeds in that 18 years? You know, it's significant. We are um, capped uh, through the complex formula yes. that defines net proceeds. Uh, we're uh, fortunate that uh, we do have those revenues coming into Deadwood. But the city of Deadwood, since 1989, has received about $215 million. Okay. Um, and uh, that has allowed us to to really preserve, protect, and promote Deadwood and make Deadwood South Dakota's playground in many ways. You know, we right. our, our promotional logo is entertaining guests since 1876. Well, there's certainly a lot of fun that uh, that you have there. And I've been to Deadwood, I don't know how many times in the last four or five years. I've been, to, been there three or four times and uh, have had fun witnessing the, the gunfight stages and uh, kind of theatrical stuff that goes on with the number 10 and the street shootouts and, and so forth. But uh, it gets deeper than that, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot more that goes on. So I wonder in the last, well, since 2006, what are some of the projects that you guys have done that you're the most proud of? 
we, we have a strong uh, preservation ethic. I, I've said that earlier. And with that, not only are we restoring bricks and mortar and, and uh, you know, we, we're limited to the exterior of, of uh, the structures uh, within the National Historic Landmark District goes through a review and compliance uh, review, not only uh, through the state, but uh, with our, our Historic Preservation Commission. Anytime there's a building permit that's issued uh, within the National Historic Landmark, that goes through the Historic uh, Preservation or the Historic District Commission. But what I'm, I'm proud of is is truly what we have taken um, with the various organizations. And uh, a few years ago, we had a consultant come in and they showed this cartoon clip and they had a stagecoach, which was appropriate for Deadwood, but they had the horses going in four different directions. Mm. And, and I think over the last decade or uh, 16 years, we've been able to get those horses going all in the same direction. And I call them preservation partners. We're fortunate. You mentioned the shootout. So we have Deadwood Alive, where we have uh, uh, shootouts on Main Street six days a week at two, four and six. We have the trial of Jack McCall in the evening that uh, uh, has been going on 2024 will be the 100th anniversary of uh, that, um, the trial of Jack McCall in the play. Uh, we have five uh, properties that are under the uh, management and stewardship of Deadwood history. We have the Adams House Museum, the Adams Museum, the Days of 76 uh, Museum, and then we have the Homestake Adams Research and Cultural Center and then most, re- most recently is the brothel, uh, Deadwood. I mentioned earlier the closing of the houses. We took one of the houses and recreated that brothel. It's not living history there, by the way. Yeah. But, it, <laughs> but uh, we, tell, <laughs> we tell the uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly on, right. on that side of it. So we have Deadwood history. Uh, we have the Chamber of Commerce that does promotions, uh, the Broken Boot Gold Mine. I'm proud of the partnerships that we within the city all have together to tell our story, to tell Deadwood's story uh, to uh, the visitors that come to Deadwood, whether it's uh, from Rapid City or across the state or across the region or, or, you know, global, uh, across the globe. And and that has taken a lot of effort. You know, we used to say we get about 2 million visitors a year. And over the last decade, we've said, well, let's let's expand our shoulder seasons. Let's make it a year round destination. And and um, I think we've got some recent numbers that show us uh, around that three million visitors a year. So in that stagecoach, that's an interesting metaphor you mentioned, get all the horses going the right direction. How many if the horses represent different organizations in Deadwood, what are the horses? Well, it's probably more than an eight up, as they say, (laughs) or four up, eight horses. There's more than that. You know, that uh, old. uh, um, Well, you mentioned some marquee ones there, the Adams Museum. Deadwood History, the Chamber of Commerce, Deadwood Alive, uh, the Broken Boot Gold Mine, um, our our neighborhood block clubs. Uh, We've got eight neighborhoods that each have an active block club that helps with crime, but they are also uh, partnering with our organization to put historic photos around uh, utility boxes, adding little neighborhood parks, doing an interpretation of their neighborhood. I think Deadwood has some of the I, I guess the word vibrant, if a sign can be vibrant, I think the signs I've seen around Deadwood 
uh, in Chinatown and some other places, just the way they're constructed. They, they do, I'm not sure what the materials they use or how they design it, but just the graphic design and so forth. They're, they're quite uh, fetching. I mean, they get your attention. It's all regulated through our sign ordinance uh, yeah. and our preservation ordinance. Uh, it's part of our zoning codes. And okay. uh, it's, it's that commitment that we've made. I'll use you another example is a lot of communities across the state are dealing with short-term rentals and the impacts on historic properties, the impacts on mm-hmm. community, the impacts on neighborhoods. In 1994, we put a uh, ordinance together to uh, control or limit the transient use of residential properties. So mm-hmm. uh, in many ways, uh, Deadwood has been leading um, the efforts on a variety of different fronts, whether it's our, our sign ordinance that you referenced, uh, mm-hmm. seeing the unique and vibrant signs um, to our, our uh, preservation ordinance to um, short-term rentals. And I just use that as an example. The, those are challenges communities are facing. Well, I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about, you've been involved maybe directly or maybe uh, along with some of the or- other organizations in Deadwood about the archaeology that's kind of gone on over the past, I don't know, 20 years or so. Recently at the history conference last year, you and some colleagues gave a presentation to us I wonder if you could talk about the Chinatown project and and maybe the uh, the houses, as you call them, the uh, other things that might have been found. I think there was a barbershop and other businesses that people, uh, their items and so forth have been kind of turned up and these archaeological, I don't know, digs might apply in some words, but in other words, it's, it's uh, part of a restoration of a building where people, uh, where items are found that kind of give insight into life you know, back in the 1880s or 1890s or so forth. What's what's some of the things that you've been a part of that, that uh, you'd like to share with us today? Archaeology is a requirement anytime there's new construction or movement of earth in Deadwood. Uh, we require archaeology. And um, the, the Chinatown Archaeological Investigation was a partnership with the uh, South Dakota State Historical Society's division of the State Archaeological Research Center. We contracted with them yeah. from 2001 to 2004 to complete an archaeological investigation into Chinatown. And uh, out of that uh, came several publications. Uh, um, I know we were featured in Deadwood History. Uh, Rose Fosha wrote a book on archaeology and, and the Chinese in Deadwood. Um, most recently across the street uh, with the addition on 10 Lizzie's uh, where the Hampton Inn is, they were putting a new hotel in there and we required archeology span there. We did an archeological trench and uh, it was fascinating to be a part of that where uh, you started to get through the layers and down into what we believe was the 1883 flood that covered up a wooden uh, water flume that would have been there between 1876 or late 75 uh, to 1883. And we were able to uh, preserve and, and remove part of that. And it's gonna be a future exhibit. Chinatown was on both sides of the street down here. Uh, we found you know, a, a variety of, of artifacts and, and helps us truly understand um, what was happening in Deadwood in those very early years. Uh, obviously, by the 1920s, most of our uh, Chinese population had left Deadwood, uh, but there's still 40 years of history there that we've started to piece together above and beyond the written record and the 
photographic record. You know, Mike Rungi, who's our archivist, does a tremendous job. He explains, uh, you know, when we look at this collection, it's everything from when you get up in the morning to brush your teeth and your hair, put on your clothing to when you go to bed and what all the different things you use between there, what we find in this collection. So uh, we found woven bamboo mats, we found pottery, we found opium uh, vials and, and smoking paraphernalia, mm-hmm. uh, but day-to-day objects such as bracelets and toothbrushes and combs and and pottery, you know, so it's, and, and then yeah. clothing, uh, you know, the Chinese uh, hats and cloaks and coats. And so uh, we have about 400,000 artifacts in our archaeological collection. You know, that was 20 some years ago when we started Chinatown and we're still uh, doing conservation methods on it. Uh, We're continuing to do in-depth studies on different aspects of it, whether it's munitions, you know, we found hundreds of different types of cartridges, um, lead balls, round balls, conical balls, uh, those types of things. But then even the shells and what were they eating? Where did it come from? You know, and again, Deadwood was off the beaten path and we didn't have a railroad till uh, December 29th, 1890. Uh, So from 1876 to 1890, the only way in was wagon trains and, and stagecoach or walking in. Yet we had oysters on the half shell that were coming in from the East Coast or the West Coast. And and so we just did a mollusk uh, study to understand what types of mollusks they were eating and where it came from. We've Any partnered- indication? Were they, were they coming from the East Coast or they coming from Seattle or where were they? A, a variety. We just got okay. the report uh, last week and a, more than I thought come from the East Coast. How long would have it taken? How would have they packed it to keep it fresh when it got here? Yeah, on big, <laughs> on big blocks of ice. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Amazing. That's fascinating. We also have uh, floated the soils and, and been able to pull out different seeds and, and know, you know, they were eating peanut shells uh, or had peanut shells. And, and uh, with the Black Hill State University botanical uh, areas, we've been able to identify non-native species that are still growing on the hillside in Chinatown. Well, speaking of Chinatown, then what were the things that were have you come across stuff that I imagine is written in Chinese? Have you have you got it translated or? We have. We've developed again uh, those partnerships uh, across the country. We have some on the west coast that um, have been able to help translate some of the uh, Chinese lettering on um, some of the uh, pottery and or tins, the uh, opium tins and other mm-hmm. artifacts. Uh, one of the interesting things that we, we found uh, in one of the mittens, uh, basically a newspaper that had been fried, carbonized. And as we look at it, it is actually Yiddish. And so I'm um, trying to understand, uh, uh, you know, the Jewish influence there in Deadwood, because we had a lot of Jewish yeah. pioneers in Deadwood as well. So well, well there were. In fact, I recall, I can't think the name of the gentleman, but there was a, a sign, a friend of of uh, Seth Bullock. Was, Soul Star. Was, yes, Soul Star. One of the founders of the of the city. Well, how about the mines? I mean, it's a mining town. So are there, certainly the placer mining style is uh, gone, but it, uh, has there been work on the placer sites and the sluice boxes and uh, the runoff and, and that kind of stuff? 
Well, I, I did mention the Broken Boot Mine um, that oh, yeah. uh, is an attraction here, and that was later uh, in Deadwood's history. Deadwood, you know, had a lot of processing plants, whether it was the smelters or the slime plant, um, and that's that's really our, our our biggest structure that's directly related to mining is the 1906 uh, Homestake slime plant that went through an adaptive reuse. And uh, we now have a 2,500 seat theater there for Mm -hmm. concert venues and conferences. And then there's a hotel associated with it. Archaeologically, when we did an expansion on the days of 76 Museum, we were in the area of the Deadwood and Delaware um, mill. And so we've got some of those artifacts, those structures still left uh, up in Pluma. There's walls from the Horseshoe Mine that's still available. And of course, that was it either burnt or, or was destroyed. Uh, but you've got some pieces of that. We're getting ready to, um, the South Dakota Department of Transportation is looking at replacing our box culvert, which is about a mile through town. Right. It was uh, built in 1965. And uh, that's going to be a huge project with that will include a lot of archaeological monitoring because uh, in 1965, when we went through there, they probably were not paying as much attention as we do today of the importance of what we find underground. And I can, I'll I'll just bring it up to date is uh, we're in 2019, we had a pretty good um, water event through Deadwood. We had some flooding. We lost some of our bulkheads along the creek. And so it was uh, declared a, a national disaster and FEMA's involved. And obviously with uh, Section 106 of uh, the uh, Historic Preservation Act, we consult with your office, with the South Dakota State His- Historic Preservation Office mm-hmm. and the National Park Service, along with the FEMA archaeologist. Ahead of that project, we uh, did some archaeological investigation, found the original foundation of the 1895 Roundhouse in the Burlington uh, and Northern Rail Yard. I uh, have adjusted the plans accordingly to do an avoidance. So archaeology is a, a, a circle it back. Archaeology is almost a, a daily, if not weekly, uh, discussion point in our historic preservation efforts here in Deadwood. We learned so much from that. Well, very good. And, and so the the culvert, this massive culvert project, has been modified because of the find that, uh, or the expectation that they would, they would uh, destroy or hinder something. Well, the, the FEMA project has been modified, okay. and that's along the bulkheads. We haven't got that far in the design. They're still looking at alternatives okay. uh, and and some visualizations of how the culvert would affect if we moved it or adjusted okay. it. Do you have any expectations about what? When the culvert project uh, begins to really dig in, literally, what are you gonna? What might you expect to see or find? Well, well, obviously, under our footsteps is is a lot of history uh, of unknown. Fortunately, we do have the written record. We have photographic evidence and and um, so the Sanborn fire insurance maps, which are available on our mm. website. So you can start doing those overlays. We have the mineral surveys and all of that kind of helps us understand what we might find there. But the, really the, the first Sanborn insurance map was limited to what it 
that we have in Deadwood. It was 1885, so it was nine years after Boomtown. And of course, we had the, the Great Fire, uh, September 26, 1879, where you know 300 buildings were destroyed and, and we lost a lot. To get down, I'm expecting we may see some of the remnants of uh, the 1879 fire and the 1883 okay. flood and what yeah. was built on top of that. We've done that numerous times in our archaeological investigations. So whatever material may have survived, or even if it's charred, uh, it still could indicate ways of life and uh, material structures, uh, items that they had. Yeah, and I'll give you one more example, and then we can move off of archaeology. But even in new construction uh, of a residential home uh, in a presidential district, which was the old camp uh, of, of Ingleside, uh, a vacant lot for decades. Uh, somebody came in and wanted to build a new house, so we required archaeology. Uh, we found uh, what appeared to be the privy, uh, the outhouse location. Mm-hmm. And then after uh, doing research, uh, one of the first owners of that property that built the house there was uh, Merrick. Merrick was the first uh, publisher of the newspaper here. Black, okay. And, and um, in that privy, uh, there was numerous alcoholic bottles and uh, chimney glass. So now you start to paint the pictures, you know, he's writing the news of Deadwood and then he's going <laughs> using the restroom and, <laughs> and dropping the, the chimney off the lantern into the outhouse, but also finishing off that fifth of whatever he's yeah. drinking. It is in many senses, uh, the privy is, is just kind of the garbage pit. I mean, it kind of sounds disgusting, but you can, uh, a privy, a hundred-year-old privy that's not been active for a century or so um, might be uh, full of all kinds of interesting things that, that people, broken bottles, that, or maybe bottles that still uh, aren't broken. Um, yeah, and, and there was a lot of uh, fully intact bottles in there, mm-hmm. um, again, going back to the soils, and we can kind of disgusting like you said uh, yeah. we can tell what he was eating you know yeah. he liked raspberries <laughs> <laughs> well who doesn't all right <laughs> um if somebody comes in you mentioned uh, somebody comes in and wanted to work uh, historic preservation on their home i get their home listed what's that what's that process look like in deadwood We've uh, done several architectural surveys over the years. Uh, 1993 is the primary one we use. We've done an architectural uh, inventory, photographic inventory in 2008. And then we're working with your office on on updating that architectural uh, survey. Mm -hmm. And uh, that'll help us determine whether the building is contributing or non-contributing structure within the landmark district. The contributing it has historic significance. Non-contributing might be old, but it's it's lost that integrity. It's lost that historical significance. Right. Um, based on that, uh, we have design guidelines. Uh, there's you have to apply for what any exterior change goes through uh, a review process. We use the Secretary of Interior standards for rehabilitation. Uh, what I reference is the Ten Commandments of Preservation. Um, and then we determine that uh, does it have, does it encroach upon damage or destroy a historic resource or have an adverse effect on the character of the building or the character of the districts. And so based on those guidelines of standards, the South Dakota administrative rules, 
um, we do that review process and then either issue a project approval or a certificate of appropriateness and then uh, with concurrence of the uh, SHPO, the State Historic Preservation Office as well. And then once that is completed and um, they meet all the other building codes and setbacks and everything else, uh, then a building permit is issued. Um, a lot of times we, we have programs to assist uh, Deadwood residents as well. And, and that's, we're fortunate with the gaming revenues, we are able to, uh, to have a revolving loan fund and a grant program yeah. where we provide financial assistance for the, the, the restoration and preservation of those individually private owned build uh, properties as well. That's what makes Deadwood unique. You know, we're, we are built in a gulch, and so we have lots of cuts and fills. Retaining walls is a, a lot big, of retaining walls. big yeah. project. But and, and some of those retaining walls to reconstruct and last for another 100 years using today's codes and standards, um, some of those retaining walls cost as much as the house is worth. Yeah. Um, and, and we're able to do that with our gaming revenues. Uh, and without that, we probably would have lost numerous historic structures right. and particular residents because it doesn't make sense. And of course, today's market is different, but five years ago, 10 years ago, you have a, a $120,000 home and you had a $160,000 wall. Wow. And so, uh, we've, we've been able to help that and okay. maintain our neighborhoods, not, not only our core commercial district, but our neighborhoods as well. You've been in the job since 2006, so I imagine that over that time you've dealt with numerous owners. Uh, after they have gone through the process and completed the work on their home, whether they list it on the National Historic Register or not, would what would you say is the theme that they've come away with, the value of what they've done from their perspective, from the homeowner's perspective? I strongly believe, and we've had a lot of new owners coming into town over the uh, last uh, 15 years outside uh, people coming to Deadwood, loving it and, and moving here. And it's because of that history. They, they truly appreciate, and, and a lot of people who buy those old houses buy it because one, they're in historic Deadwood, two, they're in a historic home and in a historic district uh, or neighborhood. So that hasn't a little bit has changed over the last uh, 18 years. You know, I used to say, you tell somebody and, and uh, that they can't do it, they would uh, uh, cry. And now we tell them, you can't do it, but we have some financial help to do it. They they cry that way because they're happy, you know, instead of <laughs> mad. Um, and, and you still have, you have challenges uh, as well. Um, when you got uh, property owners that come into town, some of them are, are, fairly well to do and think that they can do whatever they want. It's their property. And so um, that that can be a challenge as well. Uh, and a lot of it's just education. You know, history is our economic engine. Right. And they've come here because of that. Don't destroy it. Right. And uh, it, it, I would say 95% uh, uh, fully understand it. And uh, the other six or seven, we've gone to court. Mm. You know, I, I've been here 18 years. We've gone to court uh, seven different times, three of them to the three or four now to the Supreme Court. You know, we've won some, we've lost some, and some I'd call a draw. 
that's that's the commitment that our leadership, our elected officials, and they've changed over the last 18 years, but all of them have a commitment to historic preservation of Deadwood. And, and that ties back to the commitment Deadwood made to the citizens with that constitutional amendment. Well, and then, so going from the individual perspective, then as a community, the city council and so forth, what's been there, and you've dealt with 18 years of different city council men and women, what's been their uh, perspective on the value of the preservation? I would say uh, almost every one of them, I'm trying to think of one that wasn't, understood the importance of history. And those are our elected uh, officials. And and a lot of times they'll run on that. They'll run on preserving Deadwood's history, you know, as as part of their campaign. Um, They all understand the importance of it and have backed historic preservation um, all the way in the 18 years I've been here. Uh, One of the things we set up very early on was if you don't like the decision of the Historic Preservation Commission, you don't go to the city commission, you actually go to the circuit court. It takes politics out of preservation because we all have friends, you know, when you're elected or not, and you try to be as, as ethical as possible, but you still get those phone calls from somebody saying, Kevin said, no, what can you do to help me? And they say, nothing. You got to take it to the courts. And, and when I say Kevin, it's, it, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about our elected officials. They appoint our historic preservation commission. It's yeah. a seven member commission okay. and they are the ultimate decision makers. I provide a staff report based on the, uh, the rules and regulations, the guidelines, and then they make the ultimate decision. And uh, so uh, I've had nothing but uh, committed, dedicated volunteers that are part of the Historic Preservation Commission. I've had um, nothing but dedicated, committed, elected officials to historic preservation. And then being a department head as a historic preservation office, we're our own department within the city. Mm-hmm. So we're equal with the finance office, the chief, chief of police, the okay. zoning administrator, public works. Uh, so uh, this position is a department head, and that speaks volumes as well for what preservation means to the city of Deadwood. Right. So the zoning board might have a different view than the historic preservation board, and then the, the city council's got to work that out, or how does that? Well, fortunately, we've, we've revamped the um, uh, department heads. I'm also the zoning administrator. Oh. <laughs> But but so those those arguments are short, huh? <laughs> yeah. no. and and our 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 historic preservation ordinance is within our zoning ordinance, okay. and uh, there are times when a uh, project will come through for a setback or something like that, mm-hmm. and they the zoning commission may make a motion to approve contingent on historic preservation approval or yeah. vice versa. So they yeah. work together very closely. Now, the, the downtown and commercial areas of Deadwood, is there a style that you would kind of, you look down those uh, storefronts and those commercial fronts and the buildings there, uh, almost all of them brick, as I, as I look at pictures and think of my visits. Um, is there a style that uh, those fall under, and then you use that style as guidance to, to the owners and the, about preservation uh, projects? 
we, uh, as you look at historic Deadwood, um, most of it is built out of uh, brick or stone, a majority of a brick. There are some wood structures. Uh, after the fire of 1879, they immediately started rebuilding. Some of the earliest buildings are um, October, uh, November of 1879, just weeks and months off after the, the fire um, of the corner of or Main Street and Lee Street. Uh, those are wooden structures that date back to 1879, early 1880. But most of Deadwood was built out of bricks and, and, and mortar and in a uh, Victorian style. Traditionally, you know, that 1880s uh, architecture uh, with a, a tripartite, you got your storefronts, your upper floor, and your cornice uh, of those yeah. in various and degrees of ornateness. Uh, but I would say the majority of them are, are Victorian architecture and dating from 1880 to, to, you know, 19, we have some 1920s, 1930s after fire, you lose some of those and right. with the architecture uh, of the time. We have what we refer to uh, in preservation world as a period of significance. Okay. And, and that is the important date. So the National Historic Landmark has from 1876 to 1936 is okay. our period of significance. Right. And so anything that falls within that realm of construction is typically contributing to the historic uh, integrity and his history of Deadwood. Um, you might have one or two buildings built after 1936 that are historically relevant and, and contribute to that history. Um, you might have some early buildings that have been remodeled uh, where they where they've changed and altered the look of the, the the storefront, and we work very hard on reversing those inappropriate alterations. Okay. Fortunately, downtown we don't have many of those uh, in our neighborhoods. We have had you know the aluminum uh, siding salesmen come through and cover up the the wooden siding, and and then many times we were able to take that off, and the, the wood siding has been preserved. So. Yeah. Uh, and that was a, a, a trend in the uh, 60s and 70s, uh, you know, maintenance-free. Right. I don't think there is anything. Yeah, that's maintenance-free. Well, certainly nothing along these lines is cheap, but what's the you, – you mentioned how your city council is all into this and so forth. Clearly their view is that the investment is worth it and kind of pays off. Do you – and may, maybe the numbers are at, at your ready um, now, but what do you think is the – um, value of maintaining the historic look and feel and uh, of Deadwood to the community there and to the state of South Dakota? Well, I, I've stated before, Ben, is, is Deadwood, history is our economic engine. We don't have flat land for an industrial park. We don't have our uh, our big box retailers on the outskirts of town that generate sales tax. So it is really heritage tourism that is the driving force. And we've done uh, a variety of surveys uh, over the years, uh, what draws you to Deadwood. And, and you know, we were fortunate back in 19, November 1st, 1989, when we uh, opened Limited Stakes Gaming, we were one of three in the country. You had the state of Nevada, you had Atlantic City, and then you had Deadwood, South Dakota. Hmm. And uh, so now you can almost throw a rock and hit a, a 
vicinity that has limited gaming you know right. um so so that draw isn't what it was is people still come here to game don't get me wrong and and we've seen our our uh, gaming revenues continue to increase for the state of South Dakota, but they're coming here for our history. And mm-hmm. um, once they're here for the history, they have lots of opportunities. We're fortunate we're in the Black Hills of South Dakota. We have a big playground that's owned by the BLM and the Forest Service. That yeah. is yeah. federal lands that everybody can recreate on and enjoy yeah. and hunt yeah. and fish and do that. Um, and then we have wonderful restaurants. We've got uh, we've seen a, a, an increase of retail on Main Street, and then obviously um, gaming uh, is important. Uh, we have lodging for them as well with our hotels, but they're they're coming here to walk in the footsteps of Wild Bill Hickok and Calamity Jane and Seth uh, Bullock, and yeah. you know those those you know HBO series didn't hurt us at all. Not at all. Um, and and we were on the map for many years. And yeah. to me, when you think of the old West, you think of Tombstone, Dodge City, and Deadwood, kind of the three big names that uh, come. And we realize that we have for, I mean, our first reenactors were back in the twenties. Uh, we created days of '76 celebration and rodeo modeled after Buffalo Bill's Wild West shows right. in 1924. Or, and so we've been doing that for a hundred years. Yeah. Um, we have the best rodeo in, in the country uh, as mid-sized for 17 years in a row. We're now in the big boys and where our rodeo competes with uh, Calgary Stampede, the, the granddaddy down at Cheyenne, yeah, Frontier yeah. Days, Pendleton, um, Fort Worth and Deadwood are the top five rodeos in the large outdoor rodeo and we've won it uh before too so we recognize and and uh, you know that's why we have shootouts on main street it's it's to entertain our our guests it's to tell our story to tell our history preserve our history and uh that's that's how we use our preservation dollars is we support our preservation partners as well to make deadwood one of the top preservation projects in the country. Well, uh, Kevin, this has been a great conversation. Is there anything else you'd like the, the listeners to know? Well, I just want to publicly uh, say it's been a great partnership with the South Dakota State Historical Society as well. I get the opportunity to go to the uh, annual history conference. It's a great thing. I encourage people to attend that. Um, the board of trustees have been great to work with your staff uh, over the last couple of decades. I've worked with several different preservation officers and and uh, your predecessor, Jay. Um, you all have been uh, tremendous to work with and, and uh, a great partner as we continue to preserve not only Deadwood's history, but South Dakota's history. Well, thanks a lot. Uh, it's been very informative. I'm always, I always learn something new when I, when I talk to you, Kevin, about how, how you do your work and uh, the meaning for the state of South Dakota and for uh, visitors who come from far and wide to come. And so it's uh, always interesting to find out that there's a Chinatown in Deadwood. And, uh, and it, it's not just something that was made up for the HBO special. It was a real deal. So Real deal. Things like that and the architecture help keep South Dakota great. So thanks for what you do, Kevin. Thank you, Dave. We'd like to thank Howard and Dorothy Groover for their passion for history and the support of the South Dakota State Historical Society. It's through gifts such as theirs that we're able to tell South Dakota's history. 
We'd like to thank our partner, South Dakota Public Broadcasting. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you for listening. Please rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to find podcasts. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode of History 605.